Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. I want to do it for a stretch of nights to see what kind of what it actually feels like to live out on the streets. What actually happens? Now, was this exactly this attitude that got you addicted to methamphetamines? No, no, this is not. No, no. Where did you hear that? No. I'm Michelle Laurie, and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee stories about the guts and the glory of life. And they don't come any gutsier, or actually, in my opinion, sort of, they don't come much more glorious than Luke Williams. What an interesting dude. Interesting, interesting young man who chooses to live his life in a certain way and then report about it. Or is it the other way around? Does he choose to report on things and then that creates the way that he lives his life? I don't know. You listen, you be the judge. But I defy you to hear this kid talk for an hour and not find him darkly dazzling, I'm going to say. I really got a kick out of him. Please enjoy my chat with Luke Williams, author, journalist, interesting chap, and make sure you follow his movements on Twitter so you can know what on earth he is up to next. So hang on, I know a lady who is addicted, I could go and move in with her. Yes. And her partner who's a dealer, and that's the attitude I'm talking about. This incredible adventurous spirit and this idea that it's not enough for me to ask people about it. I need to go and experience it, that attitude. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love uh, living life on the edge. And prior to me, so I moved into a house in 2014 in Pakenham, which is in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, with yeah. a, a guy who was a, a drug dealer who I knew through his ex who I'd gone to school with. Wow. And just prior to that, I'd been working in law and I hated it. And it seems just so bland and boring and stuffy and even still most of my money was going on my rent Mm -hmm. every week I was working 12 hours a week everyone was very polite and nice and everything looked good yes but to me it just felt like uh kind of a form of of slavery I bet did you have that moment that a lot of us have in our 20s where we go oh is this it is this life I've got the job I've got a place to live I've got a suit or whatever is this it yeah, what life? have I? I feel like I've ticked all the boxes, yeah. but I still don't feel feel fulfilled. I did, but uh, I had that already in my twenties, and that's yeah, why okay. I did law because I was originally working um, oh. in radio, and uh, and I kind of got to a point where I was kind of like, I feel like I've achieved everything I'm supposed to, and it's still not enough. So maybe I'll go. What in my mind was the the next step up, which is doing a law degree and being even better at being middle class sort of thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then when I did all that, yeah. I still it still didn't happen for me. And so I realised that what I really loved about working in the media years and years ago was the reporting and getting yeah. out and about and not being office-bound all day and all the weird and wacky people that I meet. But I'd also had a long history before that of having psychotic episodes and drug oh, addiction wow. and intravenous drug use. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and that I just always <gasps> kept secret. So that was even more risky for you to go and move into the meth house. You what are you a... trying to say? I feel like you're, I feel like you're criti- criticising no, me. I'm not no, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, no, no. I, no, genuinely, I think you're incredibly brave. Oh, I'm thank trying you. to get to your bravery and to oh. your like commitment is is astounding. That most of us go, okay, I'm interested in that. Mm. I want to read about it. I want to know about it. Very few of us will go. I'm going to immerse myself in that, right? And so for you to do that, chasing the story. Of, of meth addiction and, and meth use in Australian suburbs with a background of drug addiction that you had already conquered is incredible. It's incredibly brave. Well, um, I mean, thank you. I, I, I really do. I mean, I don't know if it was really that brave, though, because I didn't realise it was going to go as wrong as what it had. <laughs> and right. I And I lived with this guy before okay. and I years and years ago and we'd used meth back then every so often and yeah. I hadn't got addicted. Okay. Uh, okay. But what I didn't know and, and I think this is important to say is what we have in Australia now is crystallised meth. Yes. And we've had that in the last five years. What was it before that? It was powdered meth mainly. Right. Since about the late 80s and in the 90s uh. we called it speed. Yes. Okay. I was using speed in the 90s. Well, that's actually meth. Yes, right. That's I kind of knew meth. that, but I didn't realise I've never seen meth, mm. so I didn't realise that. Okay, that's the difference. Yes, this so is crystal. we started calling it meth about two thousand, two thousand and one, when right. it kind of entered the media lexicon. Yes, and we still called it meth all the way up till two thousand eleven, through to two thousand and sixteen, through to now. Uh-huh. But what we have now on the market mainly is crystallised meth. Okay, and that's coming mainly from China. Ah, and so that is different how in terms of that's more addictive? It's a it's well the purity's risen about five times. Wow. So you can imagine what it was like on speed or if you yes. haven't taken taken speed, which is powdered meth, it's a bit like driving in a really fast car. Mm-hmm. Five or ten times faster than that, you can Jesus. You can imagine what that Yes. Maybe you can't. It's 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 well, certainly, it's certainly hard to describe. The last time I used speed was when I was working as a receptionist in brothels. I was doing night shifts. I was hating it. I was obviously exhausted, but also I was just sick of it. And I was hating the clients. Any man who came to the door, I just want to punch him. I just hate, right? And so I started using speed again during that period of time. And it made me friendly. It made me awake. It made me energized. It put this smile on my face. It stayed there all night. I couldn't do enough for you. So that was kind of the way speed affected me. How would meth compare to that? Five Uh, times more than that. What is that? Well, five times more than that is, uh, for me, it's uh, getting a trophy. It's uh, having someone very attractive tell you that they're also attracted to you and taking off in an aeroplane at the same time. And then a whole lot of memory potholes about what you're actually doing when you're on it. Uh, So super confident. Super confident, super happy, uh, super friendly at first, but then then you start to think to yourself, I'm actually better than you. 
I, I'm, I am better than you. I don't want to say it, but you know it, don't you? You're sitting, you're sitting there wow. secretly thinking it. So you start Mind to you, feel... they're sitting there thinking, I am better than you. Yes, exactly. And we all know it. So you have that grandiose so psychosis. Everyone's got it. Everyone in the room, potentially, has got the grandiosity going on. And people become very individualised, unlike ecstasy, which floods your brain with serotonin, crystal meth floods your brain with dopamine. People become very individualised. And it's interesting you should say that you use speed to help you get through work because that's what people use crystallised meth for as well. Uh, And it's been used traditionally by a lot of working class people on factory line because it makes you uh, engage in repetitive behaviour, limited amount of feelings, you don't need to go to the toilet. So it's the perfect drug in a way for people to work work on and that's why I'm very skeptical when people tell me but I'm a functional user I say but you're not a robot you're also a human being and the drug has been used historically so people become work slaves in a way yeah and famously we all think we're functioning and we all think start to think god why is life so hard and why is everything going wrong for me all of a sudden the only thing that's right is the drug thank god I've got that because everything else is chaos it takes us a long time to understand that that drug is creating all of that chaos. Did you find that? I did, but broken I, relationships, I was so... broken microwave, broken car, <laughs> broken, you know. Yeah, and missing teeth and yes. uh, scabs all over your face. Yeah. In the case of the people that I was living with, yeah, yes, but I think that for me it was even more extreme because so my grandfather's got schizophrenia. Wow. Um, did have he committed suicide because he was so psychotic and so do several of my uncles poor, poor my dad's man. got bipolar um but me i'm perfect so there we go isn't that a shame no 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 so what i found <laughs> is is that as soon as i had crystal meth i became very psychotic in a grandiose way but i was also having these um rolling visions in my mind uh-huh. uh where i would start to just have little flickers of something oh it's a roman empire back two thousand years ago but they were in australia And they found all this evidence. And the people who are actually running the society were people from Mardi Gras who I met three weeks ago. But but I knew this wasn't true. I knew it was psychosis, right? Yes. Uh, Well, it was hallucination. And so I've started penning this down and going, oh, this will be great because I've moved in here to write a book about about Drongo who I've moved in on. But but that's that's not as interesting because now I can actually write this sci-fi. Yeah. Novel and use drugs at the same time. Great. Win, 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 win. Yes. Um, and I'll pump it out in days because I'm not sleeping. I wrote 8,000 words in one night. Wow. And then all those fantasies just sort of became sexual and then I went and masturbated for 16 hours. And I found whenever I tried to will those visions back again, uh, I couldn't do it as much as I tried. Uh, and then uh, I, some of those people who I'd met at Mardi Gras, who I really liked, I started thinking they were... Uh, contacting me via telepathy wow. and they were saying to me because some of them were performers and musicians they were saying to me you have not fulfilled your destiny to be a rapper <laughs> <laughs> and I was like oh yeah because my dad plays the drums and I wrote poetry in high school and Australia doesn't really have gay rappers and and you know I'm pretty straight and you know whatever you know I live in the outer so yeah 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 it makes perfect sense yeah. except for the fact that I'm not musical in the slightest, but it was illogical. And I was like, yes. So I thought, and so I kind of took everyone aside one day. I go, listen, uh, I'm not going to explain how I've come to this conclusion because you think I've gone crazy, but I've decided I'm (laughs) going to become a rapper and I'm going to spend this time using crystallized meth. Uh, I didn't know it was crystallized meth, using using meth, ice, whatever, I can't remember what we're calling it. And uh, and I'm going to become this this wacky, subversive gay rapper that's just going to shock everyone, especially anyone who's ever been nasty to me because they're going to be so jealous of my talent. So I thought I was on this thing called The Journey 
and that all these people who I'd met at Mardi Gras who were, who were performers had been put on this journey by this guy living in London. Mm-hmm. And he like was some kind of witch or something and he sparks something in your brain and then wow. you suddenly realise that you, you're going to become this, this artist. So what happens when you're in this world that you're describing and somebody from outside of that world tries to communicate with you, like your mum, mm-hmm. say? Oh, shut up, mum. What would you know? You've never fostered my musical talent uh, sort of thing. Yeah. So it was like that. I became so grandiose where I was like, um, you know, it's everyone else's fault around me that how could I have got to age 34 and not realise that I had this talent? It's because I've been surrounded by people who have, constantly put me down constantly jeopardize me my parents didn't foster my talent uh people have been jealous of me their whole life and so wow these are all the things that we fear about meth addicts this is why meth is such a terrifying drug it really feels like you could kill me for not believing in your talent at the time Yes, but the reason I actually became homicidal is because... Uh, oh, you was... did become homicidal? Oh, no, hang on a second. No, 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 well, no, hang on. No, let's, go, <laughs> no, let's not go throwing allegations around. <laughs> okay, no. okay, yes, sorry. all right, I did become homicidal. Okay. You got that out of me. Okay. Um, but I'm homicidal all the time. No, I'm not. I'm really not. Okay. But because there was a girl, because I, cause I had an, a younger ex uh, who I broke up with years and years earlier and it took me years to get over it. I was yep. still playing on my mind four years later every now and then. Yeah. And... Uh, and I was convinced that when I was off my face at the time that the guy I was living with, Smithy, the drug dealer, yes. had had something to do with that. With, with the breakup? With the fact that we'd broken up. Not the fact that I smashed my ex's window and he got a restraining order and all that kind of stuff. It wow. wasn't that. He thought he was, you know, it was meth is also about not taking responsibility for things. Okay. But uh, there was a girl who came to the house who was kind of like, Oh, she was real trashy like he was, you know, like, and and my ex was sort of little and small framed and similar colouring. And I've just looked at her one night and gone, that's him. (gasps) No. That's him. And everything, everything. And and she was the the girlfriend of of this guy who we're living with. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they're doing this right under my nose. They're bringing it in. They're going, he won't even notice that that's Thomas now. Because, uh, and so... Uh, and then I'm like, and, and then they've turned him into a woman. And then I've heard him say, this guy, and I wasn't sure about it, but this guy I was living with, I heard him say in conversation, I'll have a bit of both. And I'm like, a bit of both? It's the female male. Transgender woman. Yeah, It's a bit of both. That's what he's referring to. It is. It is. Wow. And so uh, I've then developed a whole plot in my mind about how they did this. Oh, they'd seen me with Thomas a few times and they've gone, he'd make a great woman that we could make love to, if you like. Wow. So let's let's wait for them to break up Mm. and then we'll get in his ear and we'll turn him into a woman. So that made me feel homicidal. I bet. And and then I got over that, but then it would come back every now and then. And one day she walked in and I was looking and I'm like, she does look, he does look very much like a woman, but not the shoes. (laughs) I walked up to her and I said... I said, the shoes aren't working. And I'm not sort of that sort of gay guy going, you know. But I was kind of like, kind of like the shoes don't work sort of thing. Like everything else is convincing but not the shoes. Yeah. So had you been a different person, like, I mean, I'm just, I I don't want to say you could have killed her, but. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. If you you had become more homicidal, you could have potentially murdered this random 
who's mm. walked into your house because you thought it was your ex in drag and wow. Yeah, exactly. So and meanwhile, is see, Smithy, yeah. who's also living with you, who's the dealer, is he also having these kind of delusions about you, do you think? Uh, to an extent, he was starting to. So he, he would masturbate compulsively. He would just sit there and just... I can't. Oh wow! We all know what the <laughs> yeah, mind yeah, was yeah, there, yeah. and what? it was just in front and, of you. Yeah, in front of, and because he was just, he was a bit sort of oh, creepy anyway. But he had all these things that he found sexually exciting that were taboo, kind of a while ago. Ugh. You know, like touching another man's penis. Imagine that. Uh. You, know? <laughs> you know, imagine having someone up me ass. I hey, imagine that. Oh, oh you'd be wow. like, oh yeah, that's all right. You can do that I can if you want. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, lots of people do that. You can go down the sauna or whatever, you know, yeah. get a grinder out. That's fine. Yeah. Um, I don't think people care anymore no. sort of thing. But, but, but for like, him, that oh. was crazy. Oh, yeah, that was crazy. Crazy. As if anyone would actually do that. And you said a minute ago that you masturbated for 16 hours. Yep. That sounds painful. Well, how do you think I was masturbating? Well, even I mean, even if you're masturbating very kindly, it still feels like for 16 hours... Chafing would be an issue. No, it wasn't for some reason. Weird. Uh, I don't. I don't know how that. Using moisturizer. But what he would do is, is he would sit there and and have these sexual fantasies out loud. Of, oh, imagine having imagine having some guy tether me ex or something like that. Oh, right. And uh, and then I'd sort of go. I might go and like leave the house for the next yeah, week while you, while you get out. that out of your system. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually, I talked it up, so I'd just be like, oh yeah, so that's really interesting. I might do that, but can I have a bong in the meantime while I think about it? Right. Or can I have, you know, another one of your, one of your, one of your what do we call this? You know, he'd kind of uh, uh, get out the syringe and, and, and squirt him, you want some of this sort of thing? And I'd be oh, like, wow. oh yeah, I'll keep talking. So, so I just free drugs. It, yeah, I, was, I was flirting with him to get free drugs. One. So, um, yeah, it was win-win all around. That's not in the book, by the way, and okay. I didn't just say that. No. But um, I got a lot of free drugs there by manipulating him sexually. Um, and then it would all fall apart the next day and I'd make out I wasn't, you know, he'd be like, you sort of promised. I'm like, no, I didn't. Oh, you must have misinterpreted me. You promised that you might? Oh, well, like you you sort of, oh, I got the impression, you know, you were, and I'm just like, look, this is a little game here. You know, I'll, I'll sort of get as much out of you and I'll give as little in return. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of a power struggle God, going on there. But the But the, yeah, but I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. You know, that sort of stuff. And, uh, and uh, so he would go to the, so the next day would come and he'd be like, I reckon New Year's Eve and, and, Beck was out in the yard with this guy and I didn't see them and I reckon he was tethering her. And I'd be like, no, that's what you were... Con- well, I didn't realise at the time, but mm. later I was like, but no, he was fantasising about that. And so that's become a real, real. memory in it's his mind. It's become real. So, yeah. I, so what I learnt was this this fascinating continuum between fantasy and psychosis. Yeah. That it's all just the one thing. It's all just fantasy. It's yeah. all just imagination. But at some point something clicks yes. in your mind and you go, that really happened. Yeah. So you get the the crazy artists with schizophrenia and all that kind of stuff. Like they're in a way, it's hallucinations, isn't it? Uh huh. So, so do you have schizophrenia yourself? No, I don't. Right. No, okay. No. But you did you see a lot of psychosis as a kid? You're very familiar with it. No, I didn't because oh, okay. uh, well, well, my uncle had a breakdown in his thirties uh, and tried to jump off the Westgate Bridge, and we were quite close to him. And then after that, he had oh, schi- he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, uh-huh. and he, but he was just kind of catatonic from all the antipsychotics he took. But um, and your grandpa, 
You never saw I him. never met him. He he oh. committed suicide in the late sixties. So he was a young man. Uh, he was in his 40s, but he'd been in and out of psych wards most of his life. Wow. That's heavy hanging over you. Were you scared of developing schizophrenia as a young man? No, it wasn't really um, talked about with me. Okay. And um, I didn't really show any signs of it. I probably wouldn't have had psychotic episodes were it not for the drug use. No, absolutely not. But I was just wondering if in the back of your mind, because my grandmother committed suicide and she had... Um, Oh, they called it nerves at the time, but I don't know what we would diagnose it as now. But I, I, it always worried me during my drug use. I used to think, ah, oh, I don't want to flip out like she did. I just want to, you know, it was always in the back of my mind like it could happen because it had happened to her. So I just wondered if you had a similar well worry. With, with not really, because with again, it was the same sort of. It was called war neurosis. Is mm-hmm. is what is what he had. Yeah. We just thought it was trauma from the war, yes. but it's not until later, yes. and and I've actually got for this book where I've actually spoken to family members about what the situation was. That it it's clear to me he had schizophrenia. Yeah, um, you had a great good relationship with your parents as a kid. Oh uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah no yeah. dramas. Yeah, no no real dramas. Because no. eventually you phoned them, didn't you? When when you're in this house and it's just spiraling and you're scared, I guess. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Well, I also thought that they were in on the uh, this whole my ex is now a woman sort of thing. So when I Whoa. rang my dad, oh, my yes. slaughterman father, uh, about <laughs> who lives in Queensland and doesn't like Muslims and, and laid it out to him that I knew he was oh. in on this plot to turn my ex-boyfriend into a woman. Wow. What did so he have to say? Have, oh, my God. I'll put you on to your mum. Oh, <laughs> so, no. Um, oh God! He so at, at for a while though, I also thought everybody was poisoning me because one day after I'd sort of played this little game of sexual cat and mouse with Smithy, where I tried to get as much drugs out of him as possible without having to touch him, mm-hmm. um, he'd sort of gone, "Yeah, well, I don't find you very attractive either. Go and have a look in the mirror. Look at yourself." And I'm like, "No, that's not how to insult me. <laughs> you should know that." But he went on about it for about two hours and then and then when I finally looked in the mirror, I was like, oh, gee, and I had all scabs and lumps and uh, blackened uh, teeth and, and all that. And I thought, oh, I thought someone's poisoning me. Uh, he God, has been poisoning me. He's had a change of heart. Yeah. He's finally told me, but he hasn't told me as such. He's just laid a hint mm-hmm. because dad, mum and dad are paying them because cause I've, I've constantly been talking about killing them since I got in the house. About killing your parents? Yeah, because I regard them as money hoarders. <laughs> Wow. So what I'd done is, is I'd come up with a plot that uh, animal liberationists would go because my parents, so my dad was a slaughterman, but yes. then they later ran 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 a, a piggery. Yes. So I thought I'll make it look like it's animal liberationists. You planned the murder of your parents. Yeah, but it was all as a joke. But then because there was a different, you know, fantasy and reality sort of yeah. became messy at times. Yeah. Uh, and then I sort of got stuck on a loop about it, uh-huh. you know, pretending to talk to people on the phone. And it was all very much plotted out. Wow. Uh, but it was all for everybody else's amusement. But then I got a bit OCD with it. Yes. And so I thought he'd told them. So then they've gone, well, let's poison him. If we put it in his syringe, it, he, he won't know. He'll be none the wise. I'm like, arsenic poison. I've seen it from Miss Marple. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> I know how this works. It's oh bit by bit by bit. You know, and so uh, I rang them and threatened to kill them that time and then another couple of other times as well. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're on the phone threatening to kill your parents. What's going on with them? What are they? Is your mum crying? I imagine. What's happening? Um, well, 
I guess that's a good question. I probably haven't thought about that enough. I probably haven't thought it about from okay. their point of view as okay. much as what I should have. Okay. And I think that when you're in the throes of addiction and recovering, you, Absolutely. you don't do that. Um, but when I finally came out of it and spoke to them about it, they kind of said, don't worry about it. We know that you're not normally like that anyway. Wow. Okay, because you did then go up there to recover, right? I did go up there to recover, yeah. yes. and uh, But then my relationship with them never recovered and they kicked me out oh. after about six months because yeah. I got into trouble with, with the police up there. The pole pole, <laughs> yes. What did you do to the oh, police? This is going to make me sound... R- r- but when I was recovering, mm. uh, it's not, not, not something I'm very happy with th- that I did, but I... We used to go like they have crap cafes, cafes up there. It's up in Bundaberg, right? They do, yes. And so they had uh, the coffee club that I went up there to, and uh, and because I was gym crazy, when whenever whenever I get out of a drug addiction, I go gym crazy, and I'm mm. very meticulous about what I'd eat, and I, so I wouldn't eat anything at the coffee club. I'd get low fat yogurt, blueberries, and almond, and then mix it all together before I went to the gym and have a coffee. And I'd been doing that the last couple of days, but this time I didn't order the coffee. And then first, and so the manager came around the corner and said, you always come in here with your yogurt and you don't buy any of our food. And I'm like, because your food is, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and because uh, I was still very grandiose and sort of up myself because I hadn't fully recovered. Yeah. And then she's like, I don't want you eating it in here sort of thing. And I'm like, but I spend $5 on your crap coffees every day, <laughs> you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. So I've then stood up, thrown the yogurt on the ground, thrown the blueberries on the ground, jumped on it, and then said to her, I think someone's made a mess down the back there. You might need to go and clean it up. <laughs> right. And then I walked back past, I've got, and, and so I left, but then I walked past, I've got to see what the fallout for this <laughs> is. I've got to see what they're doing. And she got one of her bloody minions. To yes, clean it up. Right. Um, and that infuriated me. And so I went back over. I go, why don't you clean it up? You're the one who created the whole situation through your rudeness. Right. And then she came forward towards me. And in that spur of the moment, I spat right in her eye. Wow. And so, uh, and then I went uh. <laughs> like a villain and left. Right. Now that's assault, isn't it? Is that officially? It is assault. Yes, but it okay. was not only is it, a, a, is it assault, but it was also on the news up there. 
So, uh, oh my God. It, it was on the radio up there and I had, you know, people commenting on social media, throw the book at him. And yeah. so my parents are really appalled by that because it's a small place. Yes. And I got a community service order of 150 hours and all this kind of stuff. And uh, we had an argument over that and uh, gave them a serve, mm-hmm. my mum, and then she kicked me out the next day. So then I was sleeping outside for a couple of nights. Mm-hmm. But it's Queensland. Bundy. Yeah, it's so nice it's, and warm. it's nice and warm. Yep. But, you know, you know those little things where you had to experiment when you were little and you're like, if you can only take five things to space <laughs> or whatever. It was like that because I only had $7 left. Yeah. And I, and I had to sleep outside for a couple of nights. So what? Did I buy? I bought insect repellent because there's <laughs> mosquitoes good, everywhere and it's very choice. hard to, but otherwise it wasn't that bad. Yeah. But then uh, I had to go and see a social worker and and then... And uh, poor mama. And my poor mama. How's she going now? Uh, she's well. She's well. We haven't seen each other since then. Really? But uh, you've spoken? I have spoken to her. Okay. She, uh, she might be a bit scared of you. Uh no, I don't. I don't know. She said, I don't know if she is or not because she's a very strong personality. Okay. And my dad is. Um, she's rough as guts. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, dad's sort of the second one, but he's a big muscly guy with tattoos and tattoos everywhere. Right. Okay. Or you know what I mean. Yeah. And uh, and but mum's the dominant one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I was always petrified of her uh-huh. up until. The last year, <laughs> yeah, right, and and so I don't know. She says she is, but I'm just like, but are you really? Because I've been petrified from you for a long time as well. I don't know. It's complicated. It is complicated. Yeah, when you're scared of a parent too, it's um, it informs your adult relationship. I think must have felt good for a bit to have her scared of you. I don't know if she was. No. I don't know if she was scared of me. But when I you were certainly... threatening to kill her on the phone, oh, you, you mean think... there? Well, yeah. I was interstate. I don't know whether they were scared of me or not. I don't think they were. I think they thought I'd just gone crazy. <laughs> but certainly outside of that, I don't threaten to kill because no. I'm normally just a real like bitch. Yeah, right. I, so I don't. I don't normally go to that, especially not with my mum. You know, yeah. I'm blushing now that I've said. I that. know it's amazing. But it's after amazing. that, I... of all your experiences, it's talk of your mum that's got you. Freaking out and blushing and scared. Oh, it's because it's so personal, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And also, obviously, she's a powerful force in your life. Hi, I'm Mel Buttle. I'm on a mission to find out all the things that can make our lives better. So, I'm interviewing celebrities for a new podcast where I ask them one question What are the things you can't live without? Like, what's the kitchen gadget Donna Hay swears by? How does Shayna Blaze spruce up a drab bedroom? And what's Matt Moran's go-to dish to impress any dinner guest? It's the go-to podcast for anyone who wants the expert's guide to the best things in life. Can't live without. Coming soon. Subscribe in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. So how long does it take you to recover from meth addiction? Like... Do you feel like you've recovered? Is your brain back together or how long does it take? It takes a long time. Yeah. It do- doesn't take a long time physically to recover. You can feel a bit jumpy and, and anxious, anxious afterwards. It takes a long time to mentally recover. I would think so. Yeah. So for me, it was psychologically addictive. Doesn't really begin to explain it, does it? I no. was lost in a, in a psychotic fantasy. And I think a lot of people are when they use crystal meth on a much smaller scale. Yeah. Uh, so sorting back through what's real, what's not real, what really happened, what didn't, what was a memory, what was a 
psychosis, who are really my enemies, who aren't. Yes. All of that. Exactly. And you have to, because you've been thinking that way for months and months or sometimes years for some people, and you've been very grandiose, so you have to really reconstruct reality and it's and you might do that but it's hard not to bring in some of those aspects of uh unhelpful thinking yes the grandiosity the sense of persecution the lack of empathy yeah it's really hard to even recognize that you're still in that state yeah well there's a lot of people in that state without any drugs at all so exactly it's hard for them to recognize that exactly and in some ways that's what makes crystal meth a kind of metaphor for our yeah. Times, yeah, because it's just an extreme ego maniacal version of yeah. uh, things about society that we don't like or we do like or we or we kind of aspire to it yeah. at the same time. Yeah, um, I guess. Yeah, all the things we want to be confident, um, feel good about ourselves, energetic, all of those things. Yeah, you can understand why people initially go. Where has this been all my life? And able to focus on work. Yeah, and feel great about life. Um, when was this? When did you stop using? That was in 2014. So after okay. I, this was at the start of 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then once so I was living homeless. Clean. About a year uh, and a half clean? Uh, this was about six months clean. Okay. So midway through 2014, mm-hmm. what I was just talking about, what happened with the community service order was the start of 2015. Right. So I was got my, uh, my social worker contacted my agent. <laughs> Oh my gosh! And uh, and I got some money from the publisher, and I just thought, you know what? I might just leave Queensland and not do my community service order and go overseas. Yes, did you? And I did, but I booked in some time ahead. And uh, hello, Judge. Uh, I forget your uh, name. What is your very nice man? Whoever magistrate, you know, have a nice life in Bundaberg dealing with traffic <laughs> offences all day. I can't remember what your name is. Uh, so, but I thought what I'll do is is because I've got uh, I had a period because I wanted the cheapest flight. And so it was uh, like four weeks ahead. So I thought I'll fly to Melbourne and I'll do the story I always wanted to do but never could be bothered. But now I have to, which is go and stay in the Gatwick boarding house for a month. Yes. So I thought win, 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 yes. win again. Yes. And uh, and while I was there, um, I used and used and used and used. Oh, and, no, uh, of course you did though. Again, in that place, you're trying to recover from addiction and you put yourself in this place that's full of... But you I know, didn't want to stop using drugs then. Right, yeah. Everybody else was okay. telling me to. I had a, I had a okay. very lovely drug counsellor in okay. uh, Bundaberg who was saying to me, you know, I can tell you're kind of salivating at night over this. And, and I said, yes. And she said, you, are you actually drooling over it? And I said, yes, I am. Because wow. I just would like to have another hit of it. Um, and I don't think it's a big deal if I just use it every now and then, as long as I don't go crazy on it. What's the big deal? Yeah. Uh, so I just thought, well, that's all right. It doesn't. And because I was getting stuff done and I was able to get material and um, get on the level with, with people who I otherwise wouldn't and get mm-hmm. great stories out of it. And it seemed to be feeding my imagination and it was helping me on my way to becoming a rap star as well. <laughs> of course. Let's not forget that. Your true calling, yes. So when I, I, I walked in one night after I uh, had uh, – I'd used there a couple of times and uh, and there was something about the place. The, I know the Gatwick The, the Gatwick well. is, yeah. is a place where people who have got nowhere else to go can go, providing they can pay $200 a week. Yes. 
So you get a lot of people straight from prison. A lot of people, um, yeah, just with nowhere else to go. And there's something about the place when you first walk in, it stinks. But but but, but the place it it's it's bite. It's bark is worse than it's bite. Yes. And if you spend a long enough time, you kind of get into the room. Of you kind of go, oh, this place is a bit horny too. You know, there's a bit of edge. And yes. so I used to love, you know, going to my room and masturbate for twelve hours in there. I just really? like life at the Gatwick sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. And uh, <laughs> but anyway, putting that to one side, I walked in one night drunk, and I was I. I had started believing in the journey again, even okay. in my waking days. Okay. And I'd met these girls in a bar in St Kilda who were who were kind of straight-laced, reasonably so, and they weren't drug users. And I started telling them about the journey and they believed it. Oh, wow. And they were like, oh, wow. Like, And I'm like, yeah, you open like the creative part of your brain and all this. And they were real, like, like I could just about start a cult sort of thing. Yeah. And um, anyway, I'd come back. And uh, in the communal bathroom, there is uh, an indigenous lady in the mirror with a uh, with a, a needle in her neck, full of crystallized meth. Yeah. And I've gone up to her and said, uh, "Why are you doing it in your neck?" And she says, "Straight to the brain, brother." Straight to the brain. And then she introduces me to her daughter, who does the same thing, who's like in her early twenties. Uh-huh. And I'd I'd met her before this this lady and talked to her quite a lot and said. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. And she was, and I'm like, oh, oh you've talked God, me into yeah. it. And uh, and then so I've used that night and used way too much, given them a whole lot of stuff, uh, given the guy who sits outside the Seven Eleven a whole lot of of stuff as well. What do you and, mean by uh, stuff? Oh, meth, yeah, yeah, gear, okay, gear, crystal, yeah. crystal meth. Because okay. I, I bought, they gave me too much when I bought I see, some, I which see. started to freak me out. So okay, I just gave right. some to everyone. So, wow. and uh, and this was like Tuesday night. St Kilda sort of typical and uh, and I've given some some meth to the guy sitting outside the 7-Eleven and I've said I'll oh, now be my opportunity to interview him because he's normally such a grumpy you know yeah. give me some money sort yeah. of guy mm-hmm. and uh, and so he said to me I've said oh so how come you're homeless and he's like I wasn't always homeless my dad was a musician and I used to be a musician and I performed under all these different names and I said, oh, what, what names were they? And he says, I'll write them down for you in your, in your notebook. Yeah. And it's all stuff like Lebo, Lebo, Lee, Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson, like just all this random wolfie, wolfie, wolfie and all this stuff. And then he gets to the end of the list and he goes, David Bowie, Angry Anderson. <laughs> and he's like, now look at me, I live on the streets. And I'm like, no wonder you're such, a, such an angry, you know, I would be too. He feels like he's lost this. Yeah. What he thinks now, I'd be interested to know. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then I got into an argument with someone and uh, said all this stuff I shouldn't have said, uh, which I wouldn't be capable of backing up because I ordered more drugs, but my bank account was empty. Of course, yeah. And so this caused a, you know, a bit of a kerfuffle. Yes. And then, because uh, uh, he was a real like, <laughs> and then uh, he took ripped his shirt off and said, going, Arr! you know, wow. um, right in my face. And I thought I might just go upstairs and have a cup of tea now up in my Gatwick room and just, mm-hmm. just, just wait for things to calm down before I can come back down. Mm. And then I've, I've sat there for, I don't know, scene deleted sort of thing. I can't remember. But then it was sort of morning. And I'm like, yep, I was right. My laptop's been stolen. Yeah. Right, of course. The w- contents of my porn that I've been looking at, yes. which is not illegal but not even really edgy, but, you know, you don't want people knowing about no. it, is on the news. 
because I didn't tell them I was a journalist as well because I was like, well, I am a journalist, but I also just need somewhere to live. Yeah, right. So I'm like, they've found out I'm a journalist. Yes. Because I've told them when I'm off my face. Right. <laughs> Right. And the people who are running this place are in the mafia because they're Maltese. So, of course, everyone who's Maltese must be in the mafia in some way. And so they've organised to break into my room, to steal my laptop. Everything's on the news, all the, all the silly stuff I do online. It's all on the news everywhere, just like in Bundaberg. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I had a repetition of this this whole thing. And uh, and I've gone out to the, the St Kilda Crisis Centre because I know the lady, she's a novelist who works behind the desk there. Yeah. And I've gone, but she's not in there. And I've said, uh, apparently, I don't know, because she just told me recently that I was telling her that there's messages coming from the clouds. Oh, no. Uh, to, to her manager. Uh. And then I'm sitting there outside. This woman comes up to me who's also Maltese in, in appearance. So I think she's in the mob. And she's like, oh, what's wrong? You've lost your voice or something. Now, she's got two full eyes. And then she comes up to... Then she says to me, I've lost one of my eyes. And then covers them up. And she's like, have you seen my eye? And I'm like, and I'm psychotic. And I'm like, what's she talking about? What was that guy talking about last night with the David Bowie stuff? Yeah. What's going on here? People are lying to me. They're all playing a trick on me. He's not David Bowie. Why did he say that? And why is she saying this? They're going to they're stab me in the eye. They're going to take my eye out. Yeah. So I've gone into the publishers. And I've said, I understand why you don't want to publish the book because all my pornography's on the news it's okay now you really I understand. did that yeah i did really you really do that. went into your publisher's office yeah okay and i had a jumble of reasons why i went in there at the time as wow. well but that was one of the reasons i thought people were killing me all sorts of, trying to kill me all sorts of stuff and then uh and then what did they say well they were like what what internet sort of history and then i just went and told them all about my, my sexual oh, fantasies Jesus and everything Christ. and i was so embarrassed but they were so great about it that and they just thought it was funny Okay. Uh, and I was just so humiliated that day, uh, and discovered that my laptop was sitting in my room the whole time when I got back. Mm. Uh, and then I had to go to a homeless center mm. because I'd spent all my money on drugs for them to pay for my next week at the Gatwick. Yeah. And I'm surrounded by people who, one guy who's, uh, you know, his his mum had been shot by his dad and then his dad shot himself. Yeah. You know, my parents gave me money to go to university. Yeah. Um, I'd had so many advantages in life that they hadn't and yeah. now I was on the level with them for, like, how did that come about? It just seemed yeah. wrong to me that, that, um, that I was in that condition. And then I went overseas and... To Thailand? I went to Thailand. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, sounds like a pretty loose place to go. I did. I stayed in an art space for a okay. few months, which was really great. Yeah. Um, and then I ran out of money altogether. Are you clean in Thailand? I was clean, wow. but but there was a lot of pot being smoked in there. But that's, that's fine. about it. I'll thank you, that. I'll thank you, that, yeah. I, thank you for thank you for accepting that. No worries. But no, I didn't. I was starting to get over it then. Great place to clean up. You're sweating it out. You're eating yeah. healthy food, fresh food, drinking a lot of water. And I think I was lonely as well. I and bet. all my friends were drug users, yes. so I was around other people. Um, who were sort of free thinking but not using drugs all the time. And then when I ran out of money again, I went north to Chiang Mai, which is 12 hours north of uh-huh. Bangkok. And I stayed in, because they have temples you can go and stay in for free. Yep. And they feed you every day. But you've got to obey the rules, which Buddhists, is... Yes. Uh, yes, which is uh, no no injection crystal meth. Oh, yes. No no sort of prostituting yourself in order to get drugs. No. Uh, and no eating after midday. No cigarettes, no coffee, no no nothing, no talking, mm-hmm. uh, just just praying all day and mm-hmm. meditating all day. So intense, intense. But uh, I Did thought you enjoy I could it? just. 
I did, and I got a lot out of it. And you're uh, a man of extremes, eh? And it uh, feels well, it was like the opposite way. It was the yes, exact opposite of Crystal. But it was Mare. also extreme, isn't it? It, fe- yeah. it feels like the thing that really captured your imagination was this other extreme. Yes, you know? it was going absolutely the other way. Yeah. And there was a religious aspect to that yep. and a spiritual. And you do all these rituals with the monk where you hand them flowers and you yeah. and you bow. And there's a real ritualized aspect too, especially intravenous drug use with other people. Yeah, You know what? A lot of people don't realize that, that there is a big ritualistic element to intravenous drug use. It's getting your kit, opening your kit, pulling it out, getting the water. All of that stuff is very ritualistic, isn't it? You look forward to that almost as much as... It's the drug. You do, you do. And when when you're in the house of, of other people doing that, you feel like you're really missing out because you're almost yes. sharing, you're not technically sharing blood, but you're breaking skin with people yes. together. Yes, and, You know, we don't have those sort of rituals yeah, you're right. in our life now. And we certainly don't have rituals based around abstinence and going without yeah. things like Lent and so forth. Yeah. So are you still clean? Have you been clean since then? I've since been Thailand? clean since then. So Which that's is how long now? That's um, 18 months yeah. ago. And I realised the egomania and the delusions at the heart of all sorts of different neuroses. Yeah. Uh, if you're insane in any way, it's probably linked to some sort of delusion that you, that you have. Yeah. And so can I ask you then, take you back to what do you think, Why? how is it that you ended up in the Gatwick with those people? You know? Big picture stuff. How is it that you, Luke, from what sounds like a nice home where you were well taken care of and and they gave you money to go to uni, you're very smart, you're very creative. Thank you. You're welcome. Do do you have any idea as to how you ended up in the Gatwick? Well, if I was still living in Australia, I probably still would be at the Gatwick because I can't afford to rent a house here. Okay. So 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 genuine economics. economics, But I mean, um, you also could still be a lawyer. So so what is it like psychologically, spiritually about you that, that is more comfortable in the Gatwick than in a law firm? Because I get to sleep in every day at the Gatwick. And I don't have all those other commitments. But I just think because because the editors I was speaking to when I was already in the story were like, oh, scary. And again, I'm telling you now, I was second or third in charge by the, by a week in. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, no, I'd find going to the Walkley scary. Okay. I'd find that really scary because I'd feel awards, like yes. I would. Yeah, sorry, the yes. big journalism awards. I'd feel like I wasn't dress properly or I'd say something wrong or I'd say something offensive to somebody. Yeah. But I've always ran with, not always, but ever since I came out at school and everyone said, congratulations, that's fantastic, especially my male friends. Mm. They were really excited and said, actually, seeing as though your pencil case is, is right next to us right now, why don't we just throw it on the ground and you can go and go and uh, sit somewhere else, you poofed up. Really? Yeah. So I had that uh-huh. and... Uh, and I was in kind of the popular group and one of the popular boys and um, and wanted to be one of the cool ones and whatnot, kind of a minion in the popular group. And uh, and then when you came out, you were kicked out of it. Yeah, well, I didn't come out. Everyone had found out about all the under-the-table sort of stuff I'd been doing since about grade five. Oh. Uh, and so nobody wanted anything to do with me because they didn't want to be associated with. And then when that happened... Um, even the people sort of below them on the social ladder then also yeah. started picking on me because it was fun to see me fall. And then I had no protection at a school and so I had groups of guys 
bully me, punch me, throw me into poles, push me on the ground. And one day I was in PE and I felt a big thump in my back and I turned around and it was a kid with, the mus- with muscular dystrophy and he'd thrown a basketball at me and he goes, I hate poofters. Oh, sorry, I'll just no, spat right. everywhere. I don't mind, I'll take the spat. That's say, fine. I'm so sorry, it's I feel fine. so embarrassed. Don't I've feel embarrassed, that. it's fine. I um, do all the time. But um, yeah, um, so you can imagine yep. sort of that, that humiliation. And um, and after that, the only people who would kind of hang around me were, were all the real misfits, yeah. who were all the druggos, um, from the age of about fourteen onwards. Yeah. So they and they have a certain way of speaking and certain sense of humour, and a certain way about them that I just felt more comfortable in than in yeah. mainstream society. And this, where I've been doing this homeless story this week. Um, I've been taken as homeless straight away as soon as I've sat down next to them. And in fact, I've told one lady that I'm a journalist and she doesn't believe me. She thinks I've got delusions of grandeur and she's got me a jacket and she's getting me shoes. Yeah. And uh, she's she's just like, you're going to have to just be honest with the social workers and tell them that you're homeless because we've been, because we've got that addiction yeah. and we've got that thing in common. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've always ran with that crowd. I've always felt more comfortable and I've always felt really constrained and bored even yes. by conventional sort of society. Yeah. That's interesting. I like that you cop to the boredom element too. It's like, I get the bullying, I get the your homophobia, but I like that you say, and also it's boring. And this life that I'm living now is not boring. No, I love it. Yeah. I've had so much fun and yeah. uh, I'd be doing this stuff for fun anyway. And it's really doesn't feel brave to me because it's, um, it's the kind of stuff I do anyway. It's yeah. and now I just, if I had to know earlier, I could have had a maybe a, a, a career trajectory earlier, but I didn't realise people would be so interested in all this. I kept it a secret for so long. Yeah. Uh, if I had have known 10 years ago, I could yeah. have started writing about it then because yeah. it's the kind of stuff I was doing on the weekends anyway. Yeah. What was the, the kind of um, contact, gay contact you were having as a kid? What did they find out about? How did they find out about it? Well, um I just experimented a lot, like pre-puberty, yes. with, with all my it wasn't most with of adults, my friends. Though, right? No, not not with yeah, adults, cool, but right. just pre-puberty with okay. um, with other prepubescent cool, friends, yeah. okay. and eventually, um, I'd get drunk at parties and tell people. Yeah. So it got out. Because yes. I just I don't know I didn't realize everybody would find it no. go it would go down as badly as what it did because I was just like we all did it didn't we let's let's bring it all out in the open and <laughs> you know it's 1992 for goodness sake <laughs> you know. It's 1992. I, I look, we're going to have to wrap up soon, but and I feel like we've only scratched the surface, but we should. I should let you go. We should finish. We Thank should stop you. talking. How long have we been talking for? You know what? Two hours. Two hours. so good because I'm going to make that two Oh, podcasts. really? I'm going to yeah, do the first one. Oh, man. thank you. Thank you. It was so much fun. Yes, we really did talk for over two hours, Luke Williams and I. You've heard roughly half of it there. What I think I might do is um, upload the other half in two weeks' time. Luke, part two, what do you think? Part two will be about Luke's experience in Pattaya, the sex tourism capital of the world in Thailand, where uh, Luke immersed himself as he does. So I'll leave it up to your imagination as to what I mean by that and just how immersed he may have, have gotten. So part two of my chat with Luke Williams is coming up in a fortnight on the Nitty Gritty Committee. Thank you so much for downloading. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 